You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Joshua 11 through 13 tonight. If you haven't been here with us as we're going through Joshua, uh, of course, the children of Israel have left the the land of Egypt. They wandered about the the wilderness for 40 years, and and now through their leader Joshua, they've they've entered the promised land, and they're conquering these these different areas, and and they're entering into what God had promised them so many years before. And basically, we've we've now kind of uh, entered that portion of Joshua where uh, the the battles are going to be summed up for us, and the land's going to be divided. And the, the battles, the, the main battles have really been won. And so, um, in chapter 11, it says, It came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard these things, and of course it's talking about all the, the battles that they have won, that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Ashaph. I think these names are just there because they knew like, a couple thousand years later, we would have fun pronouncing them. And to the kings who were from the north in the mountains in the plain south of Chinneroth in the lowland and in the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. And so here is a, another coalition, another uh, collaboration of armies seeking to destroy Israel because of their understanding that they're going to be destroyed if they don't do something about it. But the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow, about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. And so God, once again, reassures them that they will win the battle. He reassures them and gives them confidence once again that they will have victory, that He's with them. They don't need to be afraid. And I think that's awesome that that God reassures us in the midst of the battle, in the midst of our struggles. That as we open His Word, as we spend time with Him, He reassures us that I'm going to take you through this. It's going to be okay. I'm going to carry you through this time. Don't be afraid. And the reason that God would say to Joshua, do not be afraid, is because He's afraid. And I think we can kind of take encouragement in that. That Joshua, this mighty leader, this powerful military leader, was afraid. And it's okay when we're afraid. We're, we're going to be afraid. We're going to be worried. We're going to have fear. And it's what we do with it. It's, it's how we deal with that that really determines whether we have victory in our life or whether we're constantly living in defeat. And so if you're in that place right now where you're worried and you're afraid and you're struggling and you've got something that's monumental that's coming up, you, you have decisions that have to be made or or financial difficulties or relational struggles or just whatever it is whatever battles you're facing and you're wondering how you're going to have victory how you're going to make it through this the lord wants to remind you 
that He will carry you through, that, that He will give you the ultimate victory. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Miram, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon to the brook of Misrifthoth. And to the valley of Mizpah eastward, they attacked them until they left none of them remaining. Misrifoth. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he turned Hazor, then he burned Hazor with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves But they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. And the Lord had commanded Moses his servant. So Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. I love that. He left nothing undone of what he was commanded to do. The Lord had given these commands to Moses, and then Moses passed them on to Joshua, and Joshua heeded these commands. And we would be wise as followers of Jesus to do what God asks us to do. To, to be obedient to the voice of the Lord and to leave nothing undone. I think sometimes we're satisfied that, that we do most of what God says. But what we see here is that he left nothing undone of what God had commanded him to do. Thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland, and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak in the ascent to Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. I want you to notice that in verse 18, that he made war with them a long time. This wasn't something that in an afternoon they, they took care of it. This took a long time. This was something that they had to really put a lot of effort into. This was something that they had to have patience in and long suffering and, and that they had to be strengthened by the Lord so they wouldn't grow weary in well-doing. And I think it's, it's a picture of our life that if you've been living for 30, 40, 50 and beyond years, that you're in a constant battle that you will be waging a war a long time. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the spirit and the flesh are at war with one another. We're in a constant war. Some of us have just given up and, and some of us have grown weary in that. But know that you're in a lifelong battle with the flesh and with the, the devil and with this world that's opposed to everything that is of the Lord. There's really never a point where, where we just get to put it into neutral and just kind of coast along. We're in a war. We're in a battle. A battle on a, on a domestic front for sure. 
it's our biggest enemy is our flesh. But we're, on a, we're in a battle on a foreign front as well as the enemy would come against us. And, and the world and all that is opposed to God as First John talks about. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's coming against us. And we're in a war and it's for a long time. In verse 19, there was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that He might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that He might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so God had hardened the hearts of these people. Now, some will jump on this and they'll go, well, how could God harden their hearts and then destroy them? That doesn't seem fair. That isn't a loving God. Well, look, God had given them ample time to repent. We've talked about that, and you can look at it in Genesis 15, as we, we read there that Moses, or excuse me, Abraham was given the promise that his people would inherit this land. But there was 400 years that went by before they entered in. And those 400 years were a time where God gave them the opportunity to repent, and yet they didn't. And you see, just like Pharaoh, you remember in Exodus how it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then finally it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And there will come a point, and this is a scary thing, I think even as believers, that there comes a point where when we harden our heart against God, He will ratify that decision at some point in time. And and there are some scholars and some theologians that believe if you reject God enough times... That if you say no to God, no to God, no to God, that there will come a point where God will ratify that decision. And and there's a hardening of your heart. And and I'm not saying that that people can't come to Christ at any time in their life. But I do think, and, and that's why you don't see elderly people coming to Christ very often. Normally it's younger people who who percentages and statistics show us come to Christ. When you get up in years and you've developed this pattern of hardening your heart against God, it becomes more and more difficult to respond to the voice of God. And I think even as believers, that if we harden our heart against the voice of God, if He says, you know what? I want you to do this. I want you to step into this ministry. And we don't obey Him. We harden our heart. Or if He says, you know what? I want you to to get rid of this thing. And we keep hardening our heart and not heeding His voice. I think it becomes more and more difficult for us to actually obey. And that's what we see here as it was of the Lord to harden their hearts. And at that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim. The Anakim are like these giants in the land. From the mountains, from Hebron, from Deber, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. And, and those are the, the southern cities of the Philistines, which of course is where uh, ultimately Goliath would come from. And Goliath is, is part of these Anakim. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. 
And so Joshua took the whole land. They, they were able to, to strategically take the cities they needed to take. And, and they'd mapped this out ahead of time. They took all the fortified cities, all the cities that militarily you would want to take. And it says they took the whole land according to what God had told Moses. And then Joshua gave it as an inheritance, as we're going to see in the preceding chapters, according to the divisions of the tribes. And what we need to understand is that, yes, they took the whole land, they took it strategically, but they didn't take every single city. They took the strategic cities. And then Joshua said, okay, this is your area, and this is your area, and you guys go over here. And it was up to those tribes in those particular areas to go and to conquer the little cities and the little towns that would be part of their territory. And I think this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has given us victory. He's given us ultimate victory. He's taken the whole land. But then he says, okay, there's little battles here and there. There's, there's wars that you're going to face. There's struggles. And it's up to us to step into that victory. See, when they went into these places and, and the different tribes would take over their territory, they knew it was theirs to take. The little village over here and the little town down the street and, and that city over there, it was no problem for them to take those places. They just had to go do it. it those those places had no resources. They had no backup. They had no military. All they had to do was go take it. And the same is true for us. God has given us the victory and we have to walk in it. We have to want it. We have to want it worse than we want to satisfy the flesh. We have to want it more than we want to, to have the things of this world as, as we learn about in, in the parable of the sower, that the seed that was planted on good ground, that there was some seed that was able to sprout. It, it was good enough ground to sprout, but it was choked out by the, the weeds and the thorns and the thistles, which represented the, the cares of this world, the, the pursuit of money and the desire for other things. See, and that can creep into our life. The seed of of God's Word was planted on good ground in your heart, but those things can still grow up and choke it out and, and cause you to not enter into all that God has for you, to not win the battles that God has said, look, the victory's already yours, but you got to go take it. you got to go take that village and that city, and, and those things represent the, the, the battles and the issues and the struggles that are in your own life. And I love that it says, then the land rested from war. There will be a point in time where we will rest from war when we've entered into all that God has for us. It won't come till we stand before Him. We'll rest from war. It's going to be a beautiful day. Chapter 12, basically, the first six verses are, are the, the kings that were conquered, the kings and the, the nations that were conquered by Moses on the east side of the Jordan, there in the, the wilderness area, right up against the the promised land, and, and you remember that, that there were certain tribes, the Gadites, the Reubenites, and half the tribe of Manasseh that stayed over there, but they committed to help their brothers to take the rest of the land, and now that they've done that, they can go back. And, and I believe they compromised. We've talked about that, but here it's, it's accounting for all of the, 
the nations and the kings that were conquered by Moses on that side of the Jordan, and, and the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh are going to inherit that land. And then verses 7 through 24 talk about the kings and the nations that were conquered by Joshua on the west side of the Jordan, and in all of the tribes that will inherit that land. And we're going to see that as we go forward. And Chapter 13, now Joshua was old, advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. I love the fact that, that God calls Joshua old. You're old, you're advanced in years. You're, you know, the good days are behind you, buddy. But there remains, I love this, there remains very much, very much land. Doesn't sound like very good grammar, does it? Very much land yet to be possessed. Even when you're old. Even when you feel like, you know what, there, my better years have passed me by. There's still a lot that God has for you. And sometimes maybe you're not even that old, but you feel old. And maybe you feel like you've blown it or, or you feel like you've wasted your life. And, and yet it says here that there was still a lot that Joshua had to do. And you know what? We never retire as believers, you guys. We, we never come to a place where we're done, we put it in neutral, and we just coast through our golden years. There, there's never a point where that happens. There remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Gershurites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashadites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, also the Avites, from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mira that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon, as far as the entrance to Hamath. All the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon, as far as the, the brook, and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. And so he's explaining the, the remaining land that needs to be conquered and, and how that's going to be divided up. And then in verses 8 through 14, the, the land that was divided east of the Jordan for those three tribes. With the other half tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses the servant of the Lord had given them, from Aor, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Mediba as far as Debon, all the cities of Sion, king of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead and the border of the Gershurites and the Machathites, all Mount Hermon and all Bashan as far as Salca, all the kingdom of Og and Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth and Idri, who remained of the remnant of the giants, for Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Gershurites or the Machathites, but the Gershurites and the Machathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. 
Only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to verse 33. And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families. And, and so we just read about the, the land that was given to uh, half the tribe of uh, Manasseh and the Gadites. And, and now this is the land that was apportioned to Reuben. And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families. Their territory was from Aor, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, in the city that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Mediba, Heshbon, and all the cities that are in the plain. In verse 21, all the cities of the plain and all the kingdom of Sion, king of the Amorites who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses had struck with the princes of Midian, who were princes of Sion dwelling in the country. The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer among those who were killed by them. And the border of the children of Reuben was the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. And so the land is just being divided up on the east side of the Jordan. And as we move into chapters 14 and beyond, we'll see the, the land divided up on the west side and amongst the, the remaining tribes. And here's the land that was given to Gad. Moses also had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad according to their families. Their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead and half the land of the Ammonites as far as Aor, which is before Rabbah, and from Heshbon to Ramoth, Mizpah, and Betanim, and from Mahanam to the border of Deber in the valley. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad according to their families, the cities and their villages. And then we read about the half-tribe of Manasseh that Moses had given an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and, and they are given their land. In verse 32, these are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plain of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said to them. And as we've made our way through the, the Pentateuch, Genesis, through Deuteronomy and now into Joshua, we've learned that, that we as believers and followers of Jesus really uh, are priests, that the New Testament says uh, that we are priests of God. And so the things that apply to the priests in the Old Testament, I think, have application for us, and, and, and they, they, they seem to, to have some, uh, some insight and practicality for us. And, and we see that that no inheritance was given to the Levites. They're the priests. The Levites were the priests of God. And they were not given any portion of the land. They didn't have a set area that was theirs. Their, their area of oversight was, of course, the temple and, and worship and the, the leading of God's people in their relationship with God, which was, of course, a picture of ultimately Jesus, our high priest, but we are priests of God. And I think it's interesting that they were not given an inheritance. And I think it's very important that as believers that we understand that, that this world is not our inheritance. That acquiring land and money and worldly pursuits is not what 
our primary focus should be. Now, if you have the opportunity to to make investments and to buy real estate or land or houses or to make money, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But we have to have the mindset and the perspective that this world is not our inheritance. And you see, you don't have to have a lot to have that kind of perspective. Sometimes people that don't have anything, they don't have any investment property. They don't have any stocks. They don't have any kind of money to speak of. They're the ones that are seeking it so much and it's the focus of their life. And oh man, I want some inheritance. I want something to seek my teeth into. I I want something of this world to lay claim to, to, to put my stake in. And again, if you have opportunity to invest, I think you should do it. If you have the opportunity to to be a good steward with your money, if you have the opportunity to make money, that there's nothing wrong with that. And some people God has blessed with that. And some of us He hasn't. Some of us, everything we touch turns to gold. Others, everything we touch turns to coal. You know, there was a time where coal was a commodity, but now, you know, not really. Whatever, you know, it turns to, to manure, whatever. You just... You just can't seem to, to get anything off the ground. You can't seem to make money. And know that, that this world is not your inheritance. That we're Levites in a sense. That our primary focus is our relationship with God. That our primary focus is the worship of God. Bringing glory to God. Representing God to a lost and dying world. See, that's where our focus should be. And if along the way... We have opportunity to gain some land, praise the Lord. But that ought not be our focus, you guys. It ought not be our focus. And you know, we're, we're entering a, a tough time economically in this country. We're entering a difficult time economically in this region. This region that was so dependent on construction and real estate. This region that is so dependent on people's extra money with tourism and, and people vacationing and People spending money on things that maybe they don't have to. Service-oriented kind of jobs. And we, we could be entering a, a, a very difficult time as a region, as a nation, as a world. Maybe not. Maybe it will not be as bad as the prognosticators say. Maybe it will be worse than they say. I have no idea. I don't think any of us do. But whatever befalls us as a nation, as a region, our focus has got to be Jesus. Our focus has got to be on the fact that we have an inheritance laid up for us in heaven. And you know what? We might lose homes. We, we may have to, to liquidate. We may have to dig into our retirement as I know some are doing. We may have to, to stay on working when we thought we were going to be able to retire. We may have to, to go back to doing some of the, the tasks in our business that we used to delegate out to others and now we can't afford to hire people i don't know what it's going to look like for you we may not have to but if you do i think we need to begin to prepare ourselves. and i was just talking to to dave vaughn about this yesterday about how that we'll have a a great opportunity in our community if the economy does fail a great opportunity to to minister to people a great opportunity to share with people the hope that we have beyond money a great opportunity to talk of the inheritance that we have in Jesus and not in the things of this world. And so you know what? Kind of like 9-11. Kind of like 
Hurricane Katrina. Kind of like you name the, the tragedy and catastrophe that have happened throughout history. And there's always been a revival of sorts. There's always been an opportunity for ministry. And so, yeah, we don't want to see that happen. I don't think any of us wants to see the economy fail. But if it does, God is going to use it. And he wants to use us. As he said to Esther, for such a time as this. And you guys, we are Levites. We are priests unto God. And our focus should not be the inheritance of this world. Our focus should be upon Jesus and all that we have in him and telling people about him. God wanted these people to be freed up so that all those people that were out in the world and out conquering lands and out doing what they were doing on a daily basis would have a place to go, would have people to talk to and to be ministered to by. He didn't want them busied with all those things. And the same is true for us. We're busy. we got a lot of stuff going on, certainly. But God wants our focus to be on Jesus, upon His Word, upon the things of heaven, setting our mind on things above, storing our treasures in heaven, so that when people have questions, when things fail economically, and people are desperate for answers, they can come to us. And we haven't had our focus on this world. Our focus has been on Jesus, and we can minister to them. Let's stand and pray together. Lord, what an awesome time tonight just to, to gather together, Lord. It's so exciting to, to see all these folks who, who are hungry for your word, Lord, who want to come in the middle of the week and, and worship you and fellowship with other believers. God, it blesses my heart to, to see what you're doing in our church, God. Lord, I know you have a great plan. Lord, you've, you've planted us here. You've put us here for such a time as this. Lord, and, and maybe some of these things that, that, that could be coming our way, scary as they are, Lord, maybe they're, they're going to be the greatest opportunity for ministry that we could ever imagine. And God, I pray that, that whatever it, it was tonight, Lord, whatever it was that you spoke to us through your word tonight, Lord, I, I pray that we would be doers of your word. Lord, I pray that we could walk these things out and make application of them, that, Lord, you would continue to minister to us as we leave here and as we meditate upon these things. Lord, bless your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.